O Mary, behold thy children. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear seminarian, dear faithful in Christ, today the church puts before our mind the supreme reality that at the end of Mary earthly's at the end of Mary's earthly life she was assumed body and soul in the heaven this dogma was defined ex cathedra by the venerable pius XII in 1950 by the apostolic constitution magnificentissimus deus dear faithful please do not make the error of believing that because this dogma was defined in recent times that it means that this dogma is something new. No, this was merely a declaration of a dogma that was already believed. The church is the guardian and the protector of the deposit of faith. Yes, the church can develop and make clearer what we believe, but truths themselves cannot change. Venerable Pius XII of Holy Memory goes on to show in this apostolic constitution that this truth was divinely revealed. He goes on through different arguments, but one is that in both East and West, there was always a feast celebrating this privilege, or there was a feast celebrating this privilege. How many times have we heard it? Lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of prayer, the law of belief. Which means, we see by how we pray what we believe. Pius XII, his encyclical letter, Mediator Dei, has this to say on that principle. He says, because it is the profession within the church of heavenly truths, this can supply proofs and testimonies of no small value for deciding a particular point of Christian doctrine. He mentions other wonderful testimonies showing the antiquity of this belief which unfortunately we do not have the time to detail here. We cannot, however, pass up the occasion to remind you that there is a tie between this declaration of the dogma, of this dogma, and the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. We know that it is of divine and revealed faith that Mary, from the moment of her conception, was without sin. Well, death is a consequence for sin. Therefore, it would seem that Mary would not have to die because she was without sin. Now, before we go any farther, I want to be clear that the dogma of the Assumption does not mention that she died. It says at the end of her earthly life. However, there are good grounds in saying that she did die. Were you just paying attention? I just said that our mother was conceived without sin and therefore she didn't have to die. But then I said there was gr good grounds for saying that she did. So what's, what's going on here? Let me quote the words of St. Alphonsus Liguori. God was pleased that Mary should in all things resemble Jesus. And as the son died, it was becoming that the mother should also die. Because moreover, he wished to give the, ju the just an example of the precious death prepared for them. He willed that even the Blessed Virgin should die, but by a sweet and happy death, in the quotation. Dear faithful, this makes sense if we understand the heart of Mary. She wanted to be like her son in all things, 
because she loved him above all things. Was the son under an obligation to die? No, but he willed it. God willed, and of course, his mother was in agreement that she should imitate him even in death. St. Alphonsus goes on to say that this death was sweet because she had none of the fears and troubles that are associated generally with dying. Furthermore, her body did not undergo corruption. And Pius XII says that her sacred body had never been subject to the corruption of the tomb and that August tabernacle of the divine word had never been reduced to dust and ashes, in the quotation. Look and see that all her privileges are in relation to her son. We will come back to this later. So this is why it's such a happy feast. It's the feast of our mother being assumed into heaven. I would like to end this section with a long quote, which includes a declaration of the dogma, and it will serve as a nice transition for the next part of the sermon. Pietha 12 says, For the glory of Almighty God, who has lavished his special affection upon the Virgin Mary for the honor of her son, the immortal king of the ages and the victor over sin and death, for the increase of the glory of the same August Mother and for the joy and exaltation of the entire church, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul, and by our own authority, we pronounce, declare, and define is to be a divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. End of quotation. You see, this is why also our mothers do a public honor and public veneration, which is why later on this evening we'll have a procession. Now, please allow me to say just a few more words on the Mother of God, Mary Most Holy. Let me repeat a line that I just finished reading. For the glory of Almighty God, who has lavished his special affection upon the Virgin Mary for the honor of her son. Dear faithful, this is the critical point that sadly some Catholics do not fully understand. It is that all the honors given to the mother are in fact honors for the son. Oh Mary, how many Catholics don't understand this? How many of the members of the chosen people of your son utter things like, oh, well, let's take it easy. We don't want to honor her too much. Listen, dear faithful, listen to the words of St. Maximilian Kobe. Never be afraid of loving the Blessed Virgin too much. You can never love her more than Jesus did. In the quotation. Oh, Mary, we can never love you as much as your son loved you. Now you might tell me, all right, all right, Canon, but listen, Jesus is our savior. And so we shouldn't exaggerate the importance of Mary. It is after all by Jesus that we are saved. Of course, this is right to a certain extent, properly understood. Of course, he's our proper savior. But oh dear faithful, oh dear faithful, this is to completely misunderstand our loving mother. The problem is we try to bring her down to our fallen level. 
We are selfish and proud, and when we are praised, we take it to ourselves and try to collect it and keep it. Mary, who was conceived without sin, is not like that. She keeps nothing for herself and gives everything to God. The words of St. Louis de Montfort in his book, The Secret of Mary, will help illustrate my point. He says, Mary is made for God alone. And far from ever detaining a soul in herself, she casts the soul upon God and unites it with him so much the more perfectly as the soul is more perfectly united to her. Mary is the admirable echo of God. When we say Mary, she answers God. You see, when St. Elizabeth, we call her blessed, she glorifies God. You see, this is how our Immaculate, in the quotation, you see, this is how our Immaculate Mother really is. She loves us and wants nothing more than to unite us to her son. Dear faithful, today is a truly wonderful feast, like I said before, because it's the feast of our mother. What children do not love to hear their mother praised? Let's start today to be good children to our perfect mother and really give her the love she deserves. Not the mediocre, ho-hum devotion. No, let's truly give her our hearts. For St. Bonaventure tells us, blessed are the hearts that love Mary. Blessed are those who serve her. For Mary will never allow herself to be surpassed in love by her clients. In the quotation. Starting today, we will give her our life, our past, our present, and our future, and all that belongs to us. She won't keep them for herself, no. She will place them securely where she herself has always been, in the sacred heart of her Son. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.